Section 17 of The Descent of Man, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Ballard Johansson. The Descent of Man, Part 1, by Charles Darwin. Chapter 7, On the Races of Man, Part 1. The Nature and Value of Specific Characters, Application to the Races of Man, Arguments in favor of and opposed to ranking the so-called races of man as district species, subspecies, monogenesis and polygenesis, convergence of character, numerous points of resemblance in body and mind between the most distinct races of man, the state of man when he first spread over the earth, each race not descended from a single pair, the extinction of races, the formation of races, the effects of crossing, slight influence of the direct action of the conditions of life, slight or no influence of natural selection, sexual selection. It is not my intention here to describe the several so-called races of men, but I am about to inquire what is the value of the differences between them under a classificatory point of view, and how they have originated. In determining whether two or more allied forms ought to be ranked as species or varieties, naturalists are practically guided by the following considerations, namely, the amount of difference between them, and whether such differences relate to few or many points of structure, and whether they are of physiological importance, but more especially whether they are constant. Constancy of character is what is chiefly valued and sought for by naturalists. Whenever it may be shown, or rendered probable, that the forms in question have remained distinct for a long period, this becomes an argument of much weight in favor of treating them as species. Even a slight degree of sterility between any two forms when first crossed, or in their offspring, is generally considered as a decisive test of their specific distinctness, and their continued persistence without blending within the same area is usually accepted as sufficient evidence either of some degree of mutual sterility, or in the case of animals, of some mutual repugnance to pairing. Independently of fusion from intercrossing, the complete absence, in a well-investigated region, of varieties linking together any two closely allied forms is probably the most important of all the criterions of their specific distinctness, and this is a somewhat different consideration from mere constancy of character, for two forms may be highly variable and yet not yield intermediate varieties. Geographical distribution is often brought into play unconsciously, and sometimes consciously, so that forms living in two widely separated areas in which most of the other inhabitants are specifically distinct, are themselves usually looked at as distinct. But in truth, this affords no aid in distinguishing geographical races from so-called good or true species. Now let us apply these generally admitted principles to the races of man, viewing him in the same spirit as a naturalist would any other animal. In regard to the amount of difference between the races, we must make allowance for our nice powers of discrimination gained by the long habit of observing ourselves. In Indian, as Elphinstone remarks, although a newly arrived European cannot at first distinguish the various native races, yet they soon appear to him extremely dissimilar. Father Ripa makes exactly the same remark with respect to the Chinese, and the Hindu cannot at first perceive any difference between the several European nations. Even the most distinct races of men are much more like each other in form than would at first be supposed. Certain Negro tribes must be expected, whilst others, as Dr. Rolfs writes to me, and as I have myself seen, have Caucasian features. This general similarity is well shown by the French photographs in the collection Anthropologue du Muséum de Paris of the men belonging to various races, the greater number of which might pass for Europeans, as many persons to whom I have shown them have remarked. 
nevertheless these men if seen alive would undoubtedly appear very distinct so that we are clearly much influenced in our judgment by the mere color of the skin and hair by slight differences in the features and by expression there is however no doubt that the various races when carefully compared and measured differ much more from each other as in the texture of the hair the relative proportions of all parts of the body the capacity of the lungs the form and capacity of the skull and even in the convolutions of the brain but it would be an endless task to specify the numerous points of difference the races differ also in constitution in acclimatization and in liability to certain diseases their mental characteristics are likewise very distinct chiefly as it would appear in their emotional but partly in their intellectual faculties every one who has had the opportunity of comparison must have been struck with the contrast between the taciturn even morose aborigines of south america and the light-hearted talkative negroes there is a nearly similar contrast between the malays and the papuans who live under the same physical conditions and are separated from each other only by a narrow space of sea we will first consider the arguments which may be advanced in favor of classing the races of man as distinct species and then the arguments on the other side if a naturalist who had never before seen a negro hottentot australian or mongolian were to compare them he would at once perceive that they differed in a multitude of characters some of slight and some of considerable importance on inquiry he would find that they were adapted to live under widely different climates and that they differed somewhat in bodily constitution and mental disposition if he were then told that hundreds of similar specimens could be brought from the same countries he would as surely declare that they were as good species as many to which he had been in the habit of affixing specific names this conclusion would be greatly strengthened as soon as he had ascertained that these forms had all retained the same character for many centuries and that negroes apparently identical with existing negroes had lived at least four thousand years ago with respect to the figures in the famous Egyptian caves of Abu Simbel, M. Pouchet says that he was far from finding recognizable representations of the dozen or more nations which some authors believe that they can recognize. Even some of the most strongly marked races cannot be identified with that degree of unanimity which might have been expected from what has been written on the subject. Thus, Mr. Knott and Glidden state that Rameses II, or the Great, has features superbly European, whereas Knox, another firm believer in the specific distinctness of the races of man speaking of young memnon the same as rameses the second as i am informed by mr birch insists in the strongest manner that he is identical in character with the jews of antwerp again when i looked at the statue of amenoff the third i agreed with two officers of the establishment both competent judges that he had a strongly marked negro type of features but mistress knott and glidden describe him as a hybrid but not of negro intermixture he would also hear on the authority of an excellent observer, Dr. Lund, as quoted by Knott and Glidden, Types of Mankind, 1854, page 439. They give also corroborative evidence, but C. Vogt thinks that the subject requires further investigation. That the human skulls found in the caves of Brazil, entombed with many extinct mammals, belong to the same type as that now prevailing throughout the American continent. Our naturalist would then perhaps turn to geographical distribution, and he would probably declare that those forms must be distinct species which differ not only in appearance but are fitted for hot as well as damp or dry countries and for the arctic regions he might appeal to the fact that no species in the group next to man namely the quadrumana can resist a low temperature or any considerable change of climate and that the species which come nearest to man have never been reared to maturity even under the temperate climate of europe 
he would be deeply impressed with the fact first noticed by agassiz that the different races of man are distributed over the world in the same zoological provinces as those inhabited by undoubtedly distinct species and genera of mammals this is manifestly the case with the australian mongolian and negro races of man in a less well-marked manner with the hottentots but plainly with the papuans and malays who are separated as mr wallace has shown by nearly the same line which divides the great malayan and australian zoological provinces the aborigines of america range throughout the continent and this at first appears opposed to the above rule for most of the productions of the southern and northern halves differ widely yet some few living forms as the opossum range from one into the other as did formerly some of the gigantic edentata the eskimo like other arctic animals extend round the whole polar regions it would be observed that the amount of difference between the mammals of the several zoological provinces does not correspond with the degree of separation between the latter so that it can hardly be considered as an anomaly that the negro differs more and the american much less from the other races of man than do the mammals of the african and american continents from the mammals of other provinces man it may be added does not appear to have aboriginally inhabited any oceanic island and in this respect he resembles the other members of his class in determining whether the supposed varieties of the same kind of domestic animal should be ranked as such or as specifically distinct that is whether any of them are descended from distinct wild species every naturalist would lay much stress on the fact of their external parasites being specifically distinct all the more stress would be laid on this fact as it would be an exceptional one for i am informed by mr denny that the most different kinds of dogs fowls and pigeons in england are infested by the same species of pediculi or lice now mr a murray has carefully examined the pediculi collected in different countries from the different races of man and he finds that they differ not only in color but in the structure of their claws and limbs and in every case in which many specimens were obtained the differences were constant the surgeon of a whaling ship in the pacific assured me that when the pediculi with which some sandwich islanders on board swarmed strayed on to the bodies of the english sailors they died in the course of three or four days these pediculi were darker colored and appeared different from those proper to the natives of chile in south america of which he gave me specimens these again appeared larger and much softer than european lice mr murray procured four kinds from africa namely from the negroes of the eastern and western coast from the hottentots and kaffirs two kinds from the natives of australia two from north and two from south america in these latter cases it may be presumed that the pediculi came from natives inhabiting different districts with insects slight structural differences if constant are generally esteemed of specific value and the fact of the races of man being infested by parasites which appear to be specifically distinct may fairly be urged as an argument that the races themselves ought to be classed as distinct species our supposed naturalist having proceeded thus far in his investigation would next inquire whether the races of men when crossed were in any degree sterile he might consult the work of professor Braca, a cautious and philosophical observer and in this he would find good evidence that some races were quite fertile together but evidence of an opposite nature in regard to other races thus it has been asserted that the native women of australia and tasmania rarely produce children to european men the evidence however on this head has now been shown to be almost valueless the half-castes are killed by the pure blacks and an account has lately been published of eleven half-caste youths murdered and burned at the same time 
whose remains were found by the police in this letter count jerlecki's statement that australian women who have borne children to a white man are afterwards sterile with their own race is disproved m a de quachefage has also collected much evidence that australians and europeans are not sterile when crossed again it has often been said that when mulattoes intermarry they produce few children on the other hand dr bachman of charleston positively asserts that he has known mulatto families which have intermarried for several generations and have continued on an average as fertile as either pure whites or pure blacks inquiries formerly made by sir c lyle on this subject led him as he informs me to the same conclusion dr rolfs writes to me that he found the mixed races in the great sahara derived from arabs berbers and negroes of three tribes extraordinarily fertile on the other hand mr winwood reed informs me that the negroes on the gold coast though admiring white men and mulattoes have a maxim that mulattoes should not intermarry as the children are few and sickly this belief as mr reed remarks deserves attention as white men have visited and resided on the gold coast for four hundred years so that the natives have had ample time to gain knowledge through experience in the united states the census for the year eighteen fifty four included according to dr bachman four hundred and five thousand seven hundred fifty one mulattoes and this number considering all the circumstances of the case seems small but it may partly be accounted for by the degraded and anomalous position of the class and by the profligacy of the women a certain amount of absorption of mulattoes into negroes must always be in progress and this would lead to an apparent diminution of the former the inferior vitality of mulattoes is spoken of in a trustworthy work as a well-known phenomenon and this although a different consideration from their lessened fertility may perhaps be advanced as a proof of the specific distinctness of the parent races no doubt both animal and vegetable hybrids when produced from extremely distinct species are liable to premature death and the parents of the mulattoes cannot be put under the category of extremely distinct species the common mule so notorious for long life and vigor and yet so sterile shows how little necessary condition there is in hybrids between lessened fertility and vitality other analogous cases could be cited even if it should hereafter be proved that all the races of men were perfectly fertile together he who was inclined from other reasons to rank them as distinct species might with justice argue that fertility and sterility are not safe criterions of specific distinctness we know that these qualities are easily affected by changed conditions of life or by close interbreeding and that they are governed by highly complex laws for instance that of the unequal fertility of converse crosses between the same two species with forms which must be ranked as undoubted species a perfect series exists from those which are absolutely sterile when crossed to those which are almost or completely fertile the degrees of sterility do not coincide strictly with the degrees of difference between the parents in external structure or habits of life man in many respects may be compared with those animals which have long been domesticated and a large body of evidence can be advanced in favor of the palazian doctrine i may here remind the reader that the sterility of species when crossed is not a specially acquired quality but like the incapacity of certain trees to be grafted together is incidental on other acquired differences the nature of these differences is unknown but they relate more especially to the reproductive system and much less so to external structure or to ordinary differences in constitution 
one important element in the sterility of crossed species apparently lies in one or both having been long habituated in fixed conditions for we know that changed conditions have a special influence on the reproductive system and we have good reason to believe as before remarked that the fluctuating conditions of domestication tend to eliminate that sterility which is so general with species in a natural state when crossed it has elsewhere been shown by me that the sterility of cross species has not been acquired through natural selection. We can see that when two forms have already been rendered very sterile, it is scarcely possible that their sterility could be augmented by the preservation or survival of the more and more sterile individuals. For as the sterility increases, fewer and fewer offspring will be produced from which to breed, and at last only single individuals will be produced at the rarest intervals. There is an even higher grade of sterility than this. Both Gartner and Kohlruder have proved that in genera of plants, including many species, a series can be formed from species which, when crossed, yield fewer and fewer seeds to species which never produce a single seed, but yet are affected by the pollen of the other species, as shown by the swelling of the German. It is here manifestly impossible to select the more sterile individuals, which have already ceased to yield seeds so that the acme of sterility, when the German alone is affected, cannot have been gained through selection. This acme, and no doubt the other grades of sterility, are the incidental results of certain unknown differences in the constitution of the reproductive system of the species which are crossed. That domestication tends to eliminate the sterility which is so general a result of the crossing of the species in a state of nature. From these several considerations, it may be justly urged that the perfect fertility of the intercrossed races of man, if established, would not absolutely preclude us from ranking them as distinct species. Independently of fertility, the characters presented by the offspring from a cross have been thought to indicate whether or not the parent forms ought to be ranked as species or varieties. But after carefully studying the evidence, I have come to the conclusion that no general rules of this kind can be trusted. The ordinary result of a cross is the production of a blended or intermediate form, but in certain cases some of the offspring take closely after one parent form and some after the other. This is especially apt to occur when the parents differ in characters which first appear as sudden variations or monstrosities. I refer to this point because Dr. Rolfs informs me that he has frequently seen in Africa the offspring of Negroes crossed with members of other races, either completely black or completely white, or rarely piebald. On the other hand, it is notorious that in America, mulattoes commonly present an intermediate appearance. We have now seen that a naturalist might feel himself fully justified in ranking the races of man as distinct species, for he has found that they are distinguished by many differences in structure and constitution, some being of importance. These differences have, also, remained nearly constant for very long periods of time. Our naturalists will have been in some degree influenced by the enormous range of man, which is a great anomaly in the class of mammals, if mankind be viewed as a single species. He will have been struck with the distribution of the several so-called races, which accords with that of other undoubtedly distinct species of mammals. Finally, he might urge that the mutual fertility of all races has not as yet been fully proved, and even if proved, would not be an absolute proof of their specific identity. On the other side of the question, if our supposed naturalists were to inquire whether the forms of man keep distinct like ordinary species when mingled together in large numbers in the same country, he would immediately discover that this was by no means the case. In Brazil, he would behold an immense mongrel population of Negroes and Portuguese. In Chile and other parts of South America, he would behold the whole population consisting of Indians and Spaniards blended in various degrees. 
M. de Quachefage has given an interesting account of the success and energy of the Paulistas in Brazil, who are a much-crossed race of Portuguese and Indians, with a mixture of the blood of other races. In many parts of the same continent, he would meet with the most complex crosses between Negroes, Indians, and Europeans, and judging from the vegetable kingdom, such triple crosses afford the severest test of mutual fertility of the parent forms. In one island of the Pacific, we would find a small population of mingled Polynesian and English blood, and in the Fiji archipelago, a population of Polynesian and Negritos crossed in all degrees. Many analogous cases could be added for instance, in Africa. Hence, the races of man are not sufficiently distinct to inhabit the same country without fusion, and the absence of fusion affords the usual and best test of specific distinctness. Our naturalist would likewise be much disturbed as soon as he perceived that the distinctive characters of all the races were highly variable. This fact strikes everyone on first beholding the Negro slaves in Brazil, who have been imported from all parts of Africa. The same remark holds good with the Polynesians and with many other races. It may be doubted whether any character can be named which is distinctive of a race and is constant. Savages, even within the limits of the same tribe, are not nearly so uniform in character as has been often asserted. Hottentot women offer certain peculiarities more strongly marked than those occurring in any other race, but these are known not to be of constant occurrence. In the several American tribes, color and hairiness differ considerably, as does color to a certain degree and the shape of the features greatly in the Negroes of Africa. The shape of the skull varies much in some races. For instance, with the Aborigines of America and Australia, Professor Huxley says, that the skulls of many South Germans and Swiss are as short and as broad as those of the Tartars, etc., and so it is with every other character. Now all naturalists have learnt by dearly bought experience how rash it is to attempt to define species by the aid of inconsistent characters. But the most weighty of all the arguments against treating the races of man as distinct species is that they graduate into each other independently in many cases, as far as we can judge, of their having intercrossed. Man has been studied more carefully than any other animal, and yet there is the greatest possible diversity amongst capable judges whether he should be classed as a single species or race, or as two, viri, as three, jacquinot, as four, cant, five, blumenbach, six, von, seven, hunter, eight, agizis, eleven, pickering, fifteen, bory St. Vincent, sixteen, desmoulins, twenty-two, morton, 60, Crawford, or as 63, according to Burke. This diversity of judgment does not prove that the races ought to be ranked as species, but it shows that they graduate into each other and that it is hardly possible to discover clear, distinctive characters between them. Every naturalist who has had the misfortune to undertake the description of a group of highly varying organisms has encountered cases, I speak after experience, precisely like that of man. And if of a cautious disposition, he will end by uniting all forms which graduate into each other under a single species. For he will say to himself that he has no right to give names to objects which he cannot define. Cases of this kind occur in the order which includes man, namely in certain genera of monkeys, whilst in other genera, as in the Cercopithecus, most of the species can be determined with certainty. In the American genus Cebus, the various forms are ranked by some naturalists as species, 
by others as mere geographical races. Now, if numerous specimens of Cebus were collected from all parts of South America, and those forms which at present appear to be specifically distinct were found to graduate into each other by close steps, they would usually be ranked as mere varieties or races. And this course has been followed by most naturalists with respect to the races of man. Nevertheless, it must be confessed that there are forms, at least in the vegetable kingdom, Professor Nagelli has carefully described several striking cases. Professor Osa Gray has made analogous remarks on some intermediate forms in the Compositae of North America, which we cannot avoid naming as species, but which are connected together by numberless gradations, independently of intercrossing. Some naturalists have lately employed the term subspecies to designate forms which possess many of the characteristics of true species, but which hardly deserve so high a rank. Now, if we reflect on the weighty arguments above given for raising the races of man to the dignity of species and the insuperable difficulties on the other side in defining them, it seems that the term subspecies might here be used with propriety. But from long habit, the term race will perhaps always be employed. The choice of terms is only so far important in that it is desirable to use, as far as possible, the same terms for the same degrees of difference. Unfortunately, this can rarely be done. For the larger genera generally include closely allied forms, which can be distinguished only with much difficulty, whilst the smaller genera within the same family include forms that are perfectly distinct, yet all must be ranked equally as species. So again, species within the same large genus by no means resemble each other to the same degree. On the contrary, some of them can generally be arranged in little groups round other species, like satellites round planets. End of section 17.